Good morning, it's Chris Ladd here from SPR Co. Wanted to thank everyone for dialing in uh, to hear about a very challenged energy space. Uh, we got our guest speaker, Eric Nettle, here today. Uh, he's the fund manager of our Energy and Small Cap Fund. Uh, we'll be taking call, we'll be taking questions during the call, um, but I'd kindly ask if you can email me your questions in advance to klad at sprlp.com and we'll try to answer your questions best to our ability. Um, I ask that everyone put their phone on mute by pressing star six, unless you have a question. And I'll pass it on to Eric. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, appreciate your time this morning. It's gonna be a quick call. This was just meant to be an informal uh, kind of check-in to go through um, real-time thoughts on oil. I'm gonna walk through our, the main themes that we're exposed to. Uh, pretty positive development in one of those uh, this morning that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. And then I'm going to address a common question that I'm getting, and that is why are energy stocks sucking when we're back to $50 oil? So that we're going to do that in about 10 minutes. Um, as was mentioned, we'll take questions at the end. We're operating on 1990s technology here. So just please mute your phone, and then we'll take questions um, at the end of the call or email them in, and we'll, we'll answer them. So just uh, generally on oil. So we're sitting at 50 Um We've recovered from the lows. Energy stocks have not, um, as you know, like in Canada, U.S. services, EMP. The, the theme is the same, and that is, there's a lack of participation on the part of investors in the energy sector. Uh, we have yet to see any semblance of sector rotation out of that which is working into that which isn't. Energy continues to be the worst performing sector. So, our thesis remains that the underlying improvements in oil. Um, are happening much more strongly than people believe. And I'll walk you through the numbers. I'm also going to be writing my uh, July commentary in the next couple of days, hopefully be out uh, mid next week, depending on uh, internal compliance. And we're going to walk through our, our bull case for oil, which I think people are just starting to uh, buy into because we've been seeing some really, really significant improvements in terms of inventory drawdowns, not only in the U.S., but, but globally. And I'm going to walk through those. So we, we continue to, one, see like really, really good uh, opportunities, but in order for those to actually manifest themselves and for us to make our clients' losses back year-to-date, obviously we're having a challenging year, we need people to buy into that. So uh, we'll walk through kind of the catalyst to, uh, for that to occur at the end of the year. So in terms of, of oil, uh, the bearish narrative now is effectively that the OPEC deal isn't working because we're not seeing dramatic falls in OECD inventories. Uh, we've had a rebound in U.S. production growth, and now you've got Libya and Nigeria coming back online due to both of those countries improving their political uh, situations, which are all valid. However, if you look at all of those different variables and put them together, we still see a market that is undersupplied by about 1 million barrels uh, per day. So we would have thought coming into the year we'd be about 2 million barrels uh, undersupplied. Uh, we've seen uh, compliance on the part of OPEC be pretty good in terms of production, not as good in terms of, of exports. So exports there are down uh, recently about 700-800,000 barrels per year every year. Uh, while U.S. is growing, we have basically lack of growth elsewhere in the world. Non-OPEC, non-U.S. is only up about 200,000 barrels per day. And that's with the backdrop of extremely strong uh, demand growth, which is pushing about 1.4 million barrels per day. So despite the OPEC cuts not perfectly lining with their production cuts, despite U.S. growing by about 600,000 barrels per day, despite Nigeria and Libya coming back on stream, um, we still see a deficit, and the data is corroborating that. So let me walk you through uh, the data. 
When it comes to the U.S., we've had some uh, historically massive, massive draws. Uh, we had got the number yesterday for oil, which was a bit of a slowdown, but still pretty good. So over the past five weeks, the average draw in the U.S. Is, uh, has been about 10 million barrels per week. That would indicate that the on a five-week average, the U.S. market alone is tighter by about 1.3 million barrels per day, year over year. And as of two weeks ago, we entered into the situation where there's less oil and storage uh, today than there was one year ago. So we're in a deficit now on a year over year basis. And we see that being very quickly worked down by the end of the year to approach the five year average for U.S. inventory. So we're, we're seeing the impact of strong demand growth combined with less exports um, being uh, manifested in U.S. supply. So from the high um, the, the high was in February. Uh, U.S. total inventories are down six six percent. So that's very very bullish. We're also seeing that trend in, in OECD. And um, if this is a lot of numbers, I'm going to be going through this all in the the, uh, the monthly, so you, you can see it in print next week. But in terms of uh, OECD, so this is developed countries. Uh, we entered into the year with a glut that everybody references. So this is more oil versus the five year average of 334 million barrels. As of May, so that's the most official data that we have from the IEA, that's been worked down to 255. We have consultants uh, that we pay who believe that in the past couple of months, that's been worked down uh, by a further uh, 70 to 80 million barrels. So that would mean that we're at a glut um, of about 175 to 180 million barrels in real time as of July. So one company called Energy Aspects that uh, we use as consultants are saying that in July alone, the year-over-year -year, uh, surplus fell by 40 to 45 million barrels. So it again, further evidence that the market remains in deficit, i.e. under supply of about a million barrels per day. So barring some deviation from this trend, we still see the market reaching balanced by early 2018. So that's a deferral of about one quarter um, one, one to one and a half quarters from what we would have thought coming into the beginning of uh, the year. I'd also just remind you, please, could you, if you could uh, mute your phones, given that we're on 1990s technology here using star uh, six. So uh, we have, we've got other evidence on data, but basically it all points to that the market is tight, the market's in deficit, irrespective of U.S. supply growing, irrespective of Libya coming back on and Nigeria coming back on, irrespective of OPEC, you know, quote unquote cheating, the market is in deficit. The year over year, the the surplus over the five year average continues to compress, and we still see a potential for normalized inventory levels uh, at around February to March of 2018. We do not need to reach that data point in order for the market to enter into a bullish phase. People just have to buy in that that's the line of uh, trajectory that we're on. And given a few more months of official IEA data, uh, given the two-month lag, we, we think that people will start to buy into it um, in the very near future because the data is certainly corroborating that the fundamentals are a, a heck of a lot tighter than what the oil market would, would lead you to, to think. And that's being expressed uh, slowly in an oil price where strip pricing now for the next 12 uh, months is now in excess of $50 per barrel. So that's the backdrop. Our fund is constructed for a $50 world. We are invested in three major themes, all of whom will benefit tremendously at around 50 bucks. So we have about uh, two thirds of the fund in the service sector. 
and we've written extensively on this, so I, I hope I don't bore anybody, but I just want to give you kind of real-time developments on both both themes, because as the stocks continue to fall, the companies continue to report uh, record results. So there's a bit of, of a dichotomy here, which is proving to be tremendously frustrating. So I'm going to go walk through kind of real-time uh, results that we've been getting just even yesterday and today. Of our fund holdings, we have 16 holdings, five of them reported overnight, and another three or four reported yesterday. So we've got a pretty good real-time sense. So we continue to be invested in Fraxand, we continue to be invested in pressure pumping, and we continue to be invested in U.S. Uh, EMP. I won't, re I won't go through the reasons why we reduced our Canadian exposure on EMP, but we've just been finding better opportunities uh, south of the border. Uh, we could see ourselves investing in Canadian companies once once again, but it's just kind of being opportunistic in uh, the short term. So the first thing that we have ex exposure to, it's about 25, 26% of the fund is Fraxand. We've written about in our monthly updates the reasons why we're invested in this. We, we see it as a sector where the demand is exceeding supply. That's manifesting itself in uh, very, very strong pricing and volume uh, growth. And the companies uh, this morning and yesterday are all reporting close to record results. There, the, the backdrop, however, there's a concern that there's a new area of supply uh, closer to where the major activity is in, in Texas, and that the total permitted uh, supply is about 60 million tons. Demand uh, today is about 75 million tons, growing to about 100, 110 next year and about 120, 130 in 2019. So the concern is, well, you have all this permanent capacity in Texas that will displace where all of the historical productions come from. Therefore, pricing is going to collapse. I heard an extraordinarily bullish data point this morning uh, on the conference call of one of our uh, companies called High Crush. They announced that they just brought on the very first facility uh, in Texas, where this new area of supply is, and they signed a long-term contract for 90% of their capacity and an extremely, extremely positive uh, margin level, $35 per, per ton of margin. That's, that's potentially double where the bears are saying they think it would be in 2019. Uh, High Crush was up uh, when I came into the room about 8 or 10%. Another uh, company called Fairmount, which we're invested in, was up 12 or 14%. Um, and CS Silica is up about 2%. So we think we have an edge on that because it was just on a conference call on a very early uh, or a very, very busy uh, day for, conf for conference calls. So what data points suggest to us that demand is strong, pricing is going up, and the fears about overcapacity are overblown, and hence why these stocks that we own that are down 50% year-to-date, where people have just become bipolar on this. So CN Rail on July 25th reported record shipments of Fraxand. It was up 175% year over year. We've had our three major uh, Fraxan companies report, all of whom had pretty good uh, earnings. U.S. Silica, which is a major holding, reported uh, yesterday or the day before. Pricing was up 19% quarter over quarter. Uh, volumes were up very strongly. They had a bit of a hiccup because demand was so strong that the railroads couldn't keep up with it. So they, they had a one-month problem that's been rectified. So they're guiding for very strong uh, volume growth next quarter into next year. Uh, their quote was, they had, after 19% price increases in the quarter, quote was surprisingly strong pricing increases again in July. So they're guiding for another 5 to 10% increase in Q3 over Q2. And with the price increases, like it's all pure margin at this point. 
So their their contribution margin or margin per ton was uh, ex- exploded in the quarter. It, it increased from fifteen dollars a ton to almost twenty six dollars a ton. So not bad. Uh, High Crush reported this morning their volumes were up fifty two percent quarter over quarter. So not year over year, but quarter over quarter. Pricing was up seven percent. And because again, once you you've got these guys have a lot of fixed costs with the increase in volumes. The margins per ton explode. So their margins per ton were up 105% quarter over quarter. Uh, they're now, th- this is a company that's going to be reinstating a uh, distribution. It's a US uh, MLP. With the free cash flow that they generated this quarter, they could issue a, tw- a dividend equivalent to a 12% yield on next quarter because they're ramping volumes. Uh, by my math, it'd be about a 16% yield. And they reaffirmed on the call this morning that they'll be reintroducing the distribution. So Call me crazy, but I, I, I would be shocked if a company continues trading at a 16% cash flow yield when that continues to grow heading into next year. It's probably a 20 to 25% yield. Uh, Fairmount was another company this morning that reported uh, stock was up 12, 14-ish percent. Price increase up 12% quarter to quarter. Volume growth up 24% quarter to quarter. And their margin per ton was up 61% quarter to quarter. So we were frustrated in that we feel like our call was correct, but there's this boogeyman of too much supply growth in 2018 where people are just being so unbelievably ignorant, just saying, well, all sand is equal, all operators are equal, and yet we just have an actual uh, mining company versus 80% of the volume that's expected to come on from this new supply. 80% is basically finance guys backed by private equity with no mining experience. And there's been strong evidence of EMPs and service companies not wanting to sign up with, uh, you know, a guy with an Excel spreadsheet background that's suddenly going to become a mine uh, operator. So we continue to think that those concerns are massively overblown. It is taking time and it will take like actual data to defer those concerns and maybe for these stocks to start reflecting reality. Mm -hmm. But in $50 oil, the demand for for Fraxin will continue to massively um, exceed that of supply and supply growth. We continue to see pricing increases for the remainder of this year and into next year. And we continue to see like enormous upside now in these stocks. It's been a hell of a lot more volatile than I ever thought. Had I known, you know, now what I knew then, we probably would have shunned this, even though we, we see a lot of upside. But given the, the extent of the declines in the share prices, we continue to think that our call is correct, even though it is certainly not a uh, consensus. The other service theme that we're exposed to is pressure pumping, both north and south of the border. We've had a few companies uh, report and a few competitors of those companies report. Everyone is reporting like record uh, revenue, record uh, uh, margins for the quarter. Consistently, they're all to a company saying that demand exceeds supply. Uh, They will not be introducing too much equipment for the next six to nine months. So the spheres about overcapacity growth are completely overblown. Valuations, these companies are trading. Um, one example, uh, Trican. I'm just as a reminder, too, we've got a few more people on the line. Please hit star six just to meet your line. Um, on pressure pumping, we're looking at companies trading at anywhere from three and a half to four and a half times forward EVD, but that would be based about a, on a $50 oil price, where typically they trade at seven and a half. So it's another example of. You know, $50 oil, fundamentals continue to be ex- extremely positive, but the market just hasn't bought in yet to the sustainability of that. Once they do, which will just take a bit of time, we see very, very material uh, upside in the names. And then just lastly, where we're exposed to is USEMP. 
Uh, we own four uh, producers uh, in the U.S., all of whom are expected to grow production on average roughly 35-40% next year. Um, they all reported okay quarters. There's there's a bit of background noise on, on issue on, on one, but the stocks, uh, ex- except with one, three of the four were up uh, today after pretty good uh, results. So generally speaking, uh, and then I'm going to wrap up on the last theme because we're, we're getting questions on, well, okay, oil is up. Why is your fund not going up? Uh, it's not specific to me. Uh, for one, but largely it, it revolves around where there's been a lot of false starts this year. You know, you've got oil rally, oil check back, oil rally, oil check back, and it's eaten away at people's confidence in the sustainability of the price. We see fundamentals for oil improving very strongly and very quickly and in real time, which it just takes people a little bit of time to catch on to that. So with the passage of a few more months where oil we think should hopefully stay at or above $50, people's confidence to come back into the space should improve. At the same time, given the extent of underperformance of energy versus other sectors, namely tech, the divergence in performance of technology versus energy stocks is historic. So people have had little reason to sell stocks that are you know, going up 4 to 5% a day to buy stocks that are falling 4 to 5% a day, even though the valuations are very, very uh, compelling. So that's, that's our general take in terms of why you're not yet seeing a reaction in the oil stocks uh, relative to what oil has been doing in the service stocks relative to what oil is doing. So just to wrap up, and then we'll, we'll answer uh, any questions. Um, we remain bullish, even though it was a report on VNN that I, I sounded bearish on a recent interview. Uh, you know, we're bearish on Canadian EMP, but we're bullish on oil. And we're sure as hell bullish on uh, the fund. Uh, we have identified expected portfolio return of about 78%. That would be predicated on a $50 oil. And once these names start to reflect that reality, the companies that we're invested in continue to report record quarters, record earnings, record cash flow, have strong balance sheets. And only need the oil price where we are today, where, by, by the way, U.S. EMP sure as heck are hedging that in now. So the risk of our service names, we think, are much, much, much lower than what people uh, would believe. So we continue to be invested. I, I am, to the best of my knowledge, still the largest investor uh, in the fund. So our money is where our mouth is. So let's, let's open it up. I, it is open mic. So just take yourself off mute by hitting star... Six. Star six, again, to unmute. Um, we've got about 30, 40 people on the call, so it's not 10,000. So if you have a questions, chances are five other people are thinking it too. So just hit me with any questions, and we've got a few emails uh, as well. So just hit me, and if multiple people ask at one time, we'll just battle it out. And we'll, I'm here for another half hour to answer any, any questions. All right. Well, I was pretty thorough then. Um, you know, we, we did get a couple questions specifically on Fairmount, which... I don't like to get into specific names. Uh, I think I mentioned what they reported this morning. We own a basket of Fraxin names. I don't recommend stocks. I recommend the fund for multiple reasons. Namely, that's what I own. Um, you know, specific to Fairmount, it's been down a little bit more because they have more debt than others. And the short interest is 31%. So we see a very strong potential for a short squeeze. It is kind of the whipping boy of, of faster money on, on when people want to be negative on energy and oil. So given the stock's down 78%, we see pretty damn good uh, upside in that one. But that's not a, a recommendation, um, but it is a fun holding. We, we did get another question from a gentleman asking about our outlook on, on Canada. Um, I don't want to really go on a diatribe here in terms of you know lack of takeaway capacity and provincial issues and the prime minister and such. Just generally speaking, we see a more business-friendly environment 
uh, south of the border where we get the same macro backdrop upside for oil without having to worry about pipeline takeaway capacity and royalty reviews and socialist governments and such. We truly hope that that changes one day and we'd love to come back and invest in Canadian companies again. And we may, you know, in the short term, because the Canadian names too have been just beaten down uh, tremendously. But right now, uh, we only own um, U.S. So this is your chance. If you have questions, please feel free to, uh, to ask. Hi, Eric. Hi. Uh, Dave Basie here. Uh, with uh, your significant exposure to the U.S., what's your currency hedging strategy at this point? Yeah, it's a, it's a touchy subject because we were hedged. We are not hedged now. Uh, we will we want to opportunistically put it back on because I do not want to be speculating uh, on the currency. So expect us on a little bit more of a pullback in the loonie uh, to be, to put a hedge back on. We were 75% hedged on our currency exposure, uh, which is usually the, the kind of the max because we do what uh, uh, three month forwards at a pretty low annualized cost. It was costing us about 1.2% a year to, to have that insurance on. So it is something we're going to be putting uh, back on soon. Thank you very much. Any other questions? There's got to be some. Where where might you be seeing uh, other opportunities, if not now, looking forward in the next 6 to 12 months? Well, right now, like... <laughs> You know, what else could we be invested in? So I mentioned we're, we're in Fraxan, we're in pressure pumpers. Services really are um, the best area right now to have the smartest amount of beta. But the, the challenge is what, el what else is available to us isn't all that attractive. So we could go into drillers. The problem with drillers is that there's a lot of uh, excess capacity and pricing has already started to stall out. And in fact, it's, it's falling in Canada in the U.S., it's stalled out at about $20,000 per day for rigs. So you don't have that same dynamic of an increase in day rates where I do have that in the pumpers. Uh, I just got heard a data point yesterday, like CalFrac pricing yeah, continues to go up and is up 18% Q3 over Q1. Uh, Trican, which is a big holder um, position for us, is reporting next week, I think. And uh, it's expected that they'll be announcing or have announced a 10% price increase effective Q3. So you don't get that with the drillers. And at the same time, US EMP do continue to get a little bit more efficient on drilling. So their demand for the same amount of rigs is not what it was historically. So, you know, the rig count now is in the 700s. It used to be 1600. And to get back, to, typically for a service company, you need to hit 80% utilization to get like really big price increases. We're there on fracking. Like fracking is completely sold out. U.S. guys are saying they're sold out for the rest of the year. Tricam, Calfrac, like everyone's sold out. So it's just it's a better place to invest. So we wouldn't invest in drillers right now unless the names get really, really beaten down. A name like a Trinidad now, it's trading at like 30% replacement cost, I, I believe. Um, so names like that may be attractive, but we just we, we prefer to stick with the pumpers, both north and south of the border. We don't do pipes. We don't do midstreamers. Uh, free EMP, our decision that is Canada versus U.S. And, you know, it's not really a either or. We continue to follow intimately Canadian companies. Um, we try, we're try. we doing our best to see if money flow from U.S. investors is going to be returning to Canada because that will is what will really drive the stocks. You know, nobody can question whether the stocks are inexpensive or not. And there are some opportunities, um, you know, some wet gas guys uh, that have been really beaten down that are trading at pretty compelling valuations. But, 
you know, we, we hold 16 names and it just happens to be we think we're best positioned in those uh, right now. Thank you. Uh, we had a question from uh, Sean, who's just asking, you mentioned 50 to 60% of the fund reported earnings over the past day. What are the quality of those earnings? Uh, generally speaking, they've been pretty good. So we had, um, uh, I try not to mention specific names for obvious reasons here, but we, we had three of our four oil companies report overnight. Two of the three beat and uh, reported very good earnings. One disappointed on uh, their production composition, meaning there, there's now a concern as of yesterday, uh, courtesy of Pioneer. Uh, and this is going to be too technical, maybe for 99% of you, but there, there's a concern that as you produce oil from legacy reservoirs that you reach bubble point and the, number, the percentage of natural gas production increases, so your oil cut falls. So it means that, geez, well, okay, maybe the Permian has reached the point of maturity, oil cuts falling, and therefore wells are going to become gassier and gassier, and it means that the economics are getting poorer and poorer. And Pioneer kind of started that yesterday morning uh, where they increased their gas cut on their production stream, and uh, other Permian guys fell by 4 to 6%, even though they weren't even in the same area or you know the same part of the basin. Uh, Parsley this morning increased or they were a gas cut as well, but it comes down to they did an acquisition where they got a lot of old vertical wells that typically have gas, more gas, and they've drilled a boomer of a well in the Wolf Camp Sea, which is a new zone, which uh, they think is paying out in six months, but it happens to be about 45% gas. So it is gassier, but the economics are still awesome. So like if a guy can drill a gassy well and pay out in six months, I'm, I'm quite happy with that, but the name's down. I think four or five percent right now. I'm in the. I'm not in front of my computer right now. And then in terms of the service guys, we've had uh, Silica, High Crush, and Fremont all report. All were very good. Silica had a bit of a blip, and the stock was down six or seven percent on a short-term issue. They had a one month uh, where they couldn't get enough rail cars, even though de- demand for their product was really good. We've had a few of our pumpers in the U.S. report. We're still waiting on Trican. We would expect a, a, a good quarter from them. Uh, and then we're waiting on one US EMP. So generally speaking, uh, the, the results have been very good. We have one Canadian uh, sand name, which I don't want to mention because it's very small and illiquid, but they beat consensus by about 52%. So that, that was an okay result. But it's frustrating because like, these names are coming out with awesome quarters, but the stocks aren't really going up. And in fact, we had many last week that were reporting they were falling. You know, they beat consensus by 30% on the stock falls, 3 or 4%. So it's kind of a a head-scratching type of environment. We really need people to buy into oil before they buy into anything else. It, like, it really starts there. And I think that's just going to take time where people don't believe that you know, we're heading back down to $40 because Tesla is going to be taking over the world or, you know, Libya production is not going to be doubling or tripling from current levels. Any other, any other questions? Great. Okay. Well, we're always available, as you know. Shoot me an email. Give us a call. Uh, we're always here for you. Apologies for the outdated technology. Have a good day.